Welcome to the Modern Carnivore Podcast, a guide for those interested in hearing more about hunting, fishing, and other paths to eating more responsibly. Now, here's your host, Mark Norquist. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this new episode of the Modern Carnivore Podcast, and I am going to open up with an apology for how long it has taken out to get a new episode out. Uh, we've got a new project in the works, and it's called How to Hunt Upland Birds. And if you want to check it out, you can go to howtohuntuplandbirds.org. And this is in partnership uh, with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And so this has taken us off of the podcast game here for, for a little while. But there is some great stuff coming, and I can't wait to share that with you soon. But today's episode is one from Pheasant Fest that just occurred this last weekend here at the Minneapolis Convention Center in Minnesota. And if you're not familiar with this event, uh, you've got to check it out. You should plan to head to it next year. Uh, This was record-setting attendance of uh, over 30,000 people here Uh, in Minnesota from across the country. And what we did was we did a combo podcast. Rob Dreeslein, who is the publisher of Outdoor News, has his own radio program and podcast. And I sat down with Lantani, who is the CEO and president of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and Katie McCaleb, who is the VP of Communications for that same organization. And we had a You know, just a great conversation as we usually have about hunting and conservation. And uh, we talk a little bit about things, you know, a little bit inside baseball in in Washington, D.C. and with politics around bills like Recovering America's Wildlife Act, which uh, did not pass this this last session, but uh, there's hope for it still. Uh, We talk about issues like corner crossing, which is something happening uh, out in Wyoming right now where there was a situation back in the 2021 hunting season with a few Missouri guys. And uh, some of you are very familiar with that story. Some of you are probably not. Uh, And if you're not, it's something you should be aware of as to how this impacts public lands issues. Um, And then talking a little bit about grassland. And grasslands is something that pheasants forever and quail forever have been focused on for a long time. BHA as a public land advocacy hunting group has also. But there's, you know, some exciting things happening, I think, on that front in terms of a lot of progress that has been made. Uh, Pheasants forever announced this last week that they're... um, Big campaign that they've been working on for quite a few years uh, has succeeded with over a half a billion dollars raised, which is just sort of an unfathomable amount of of money that they were able to raise for this work. Uh, and Lantani talks a little bit about directionally where BHA is going when it comes to grasslands and the critters, some of them rather large that, uh, that are part of our traditional grasslands and prairie areas in the U.S. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, and we're going to be getting more episodes out here very soon. Thanks for all your comments. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome to a special joint broadcast of Outdoor News Radio and the Modern Carnivore Podcast. I am Rob Dreeslein, host of Outdoor News Radio. And Mark and I did this back at Game Fair last summer. We had a great time. We just figured we got to do this again, eh, Mark? Exactly. we got to have some fun. We've got a couple great special guests. I'm very excited to have them in person. We are recording at Pheasant Fest uh, down at the Minneapolis Convention Center. And we have Lan Tawney, the CEO and president of Missoula, Montana-based Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and some might say his better half in many ways, Katie McCaleb, the VP of Communications for BHA, a good friend of both Mark and I, and it's a thrill to have you both here. Thanks for joining us, you guys. Glad to be here. So thrilled Uh, to be here. It it certainly appears like you've met a lot of great people and had a great time at Pheasant Fest. It's great to be back together again, right? (laughs) I mean, it's just the, you know, with COVID... And now being able to come back and like feel the energy of bringing people together again is so amazing. So I'm very uh, satisfied to be here, I would say. I just came to my first Pheasant Fest last year over in Omaha. And Pheasants Forever has long been one of my favorite organizations to work with. The vision, the energy, the positivity that they bring to conservation, I always felt is very compatible with what we're doing at Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. So it's a partnership that I always love to explore a little bit more. And this show has been a lot of fun. We're going to try to have two segments with Land and Katie. I thought we'd devote the first segment to talk about what came out of 2022 in the conservation field. What, what were you happy about last year, Land? And let's talk a little bit about forecasts for this year. First off, I know Rawa at the Pine Night the other night, you mentioned that was a disappointment. We came pretty close. Sure. So RAWA, Recovering America's Wildlife Act, is what RAWA stands for. And what that would do is it would get money to non-game species to make sure that the common species stay common and those others stay out of the emergency room, which is the endangered species list. It's an amazing opportunity to have more funding for the habitat and for those species. And it almost got there, Rob. It almost got there. We had a bill that went all the way through the House. And then we had some movement in the Senate. There's a thing called lame duck that happens after the election. And we thought it was really going to happen then. But there was other priorities that were on the table. And it just did not happen. So we feel like that the momentum has been gained to do that in 2023. And we will be talking to people about that in the appropriate time to uh, lift your voice up to carry that forward. It's a whole new biennium, which means you need a whole new bill, correct? Yes. And yes. we got a different makeup of the, the U.S. Congress. Are you less optimistic, more optimistic uh, that it can get some traction this year? It's a great question. So I think that no matter how partisan our country gets, it feels like conservation is able to move through the middle of it. And so with RAWA in particular, we have Republicans and Democrats that care about this. And I think, I mean... I'm an optimist guy anyways, but I think that we'll be able to get something done. And so, you know, that idea that now the House is, you know, run by the Republicans and the Senate is run by the Democrats, I actually think our issues, and RAWA in particular, is set up to get through that whole thing. Why is it that you think conservation cuts through unlike other issues? Because I agree with you, and and I think it's a beautiful thing. But what what do you think the reason for that is? That's a good question. I think that that no matter who your parents are, what political party you belong to. The idea of conservation kind of gets through that because of it means something to everybody. And there's not many issues out in Washington, D.C. that can get, get through those things. But I would say that, again, it's like everybody hunts. Everybody fit. Well, not everybody hunts. Everybody 
but it's I, aspirational. Well, yeah, I wish like maybe <laughs> maybe I don't wish that everybody hunted. Yeah, I would right, have exactly. So many amazing opportunities, but I would say that it just for some reason it, it gets through that. I think it's because uh, it's so visceral, like like and 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 how when you're out on the ground, you want to make sure that somebody else has the opportunity to do the same thing that you're doing, and and so I think it, it carries forward. It's like an ethos that carries forward through all these other political things that like that really uh, we get so fired up about this one seems to be able to go i don't know what you think katie but like that's, no, that's I, I mean I... what what is more all-american than our great outdoors than equal opportunity access to great adventures like you said land it doesn't matter how much money you make or what your parents do for a living the outdoors are there for all of us and i think that you know that resonates with everyone it's one of the reasons that i'm so glad to be working with backcountry hunters and anglers because it's working on behalf of values that I think are emblematic of all of us and that benefit all of us. So that, like you, Land, I am an optimist. You have to be an optimist to um, stick around in this business. But um, I'd like to think that there's some potential for us to get some really good stuff done um, in the new Congress. And I think um, Recovering America's Wildlife Act is at the top of our list. Folks, you're listening to a special broadcast of Outdoor News Radio and the Modern Carnivore Podcast. Uh, that was Katie McCaleb just speaking from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. By the way, you can read an exclusive interview with Katie in the print version of Outdoor News and OutdoorNews.com. Please check that out. Katie, you're doing some seminars here at Pheasant Fest talking about the corner crossing issue. Can you speak to that a little bit? What are you telling folks about that issue? It involves some Missouri hunters out west, correct? And was there a little movement on that uh, leading up into the weekend? Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, well, I sometimes wonder how far issues that are happening in a a far western state like Wyoming translate into onto the radar of folks elsewhere. But I think this one's been picking up some momentum. it was in the, the hunting season of, of 2021. Four hunters from Missouri went out to Wyoming to go hunt big game, and they accessed some public lands managed by the Bureau of Land Management um, that were corner locked. And I guess the easiest way to describe this for folks who are listening is to think of a checkerboard. You have two squares diagonally that are public with private lands on surrounding them. And so they accessed those public lands by doing something called corner crossing, which is stepping across that invisible point that connects those four pieces of land. And it's kind of a legally gray area, hard to say whether it's within or outside of the law. In this case, the the landowner who owned the ranch lands, the private lands surrounding uh, decided to press charges against these hunters for violating his his what he saw as as his own personal land holdings and is is seeking seven million dollars in damages against these hunters for trespassing by by crossing this corner. So this story has been, I think, attracting public attention for a number of reasons. I mean, as a communications person, I always love a good narrative, and and this one has a lot of things to love about it, right? You have the the scrappy hunters who are accessing these these public lands that should be available to all of us. You have the villainous multimillionaire multimillionaire landlord from uh, the East Coast who's who's trying to prevent them accessing these places. So, Katie, you've been doing these seminars at Pheasant Fest a long way from Wyoming. Yep. They've been pretty well attended. I mean, you definitely 
there's been a lot of interest yep. among Midwestern yep. hunters about this issue, it's, it looks like, right? Well, I mean, I'm thrilled. I find access issues to be tough stories to tell. And this one has, has um, really lent itself to being a good story and helped people, I think, gain a better understanding of um, a, a topic that can be a little bit tough to communicate. I mean, access is the number one factor cited by hunters uh, for foregoing time of field if they don't have it. So you need places to go, you need good habitat, you need lots of critters, you need robust populations of wildlife, but if you don't have a way to access those places, then you're not going to be able to, to take advantage of those opportunities. We just have a minute or two left in this segment, Mark, but I, can we bounce back to land real quick? What are you hearing on the floor at Pheasant Fest 2023 land in terms of priorities among sportsmen that are getting your attention is, is there been any aha moments where you've been like we better work on this one okay. no aha moments mm-hmm. but i would say if i had to talk about anything is that people are wanting to get engaged civically like that is the aha moment for me is they want to do something whether that's in minnesota or that's someplace else but they don't know how to do it and so i think the empowering pieces is like our ability to connect you to legislators and connect you to the political system that you feel like you're disconnected from. And so if I hear that like over and over and over again from people just saying thank you for making it easier for me to connect to the people that are decision makers. So yeah, I had to do an aha moment here at Pheasant Fest. That's kind of been the one. I think just following up on, on that, I was just having a conversation in the hallway with the DNR commissioner. We were just talking about what was just said in the last panel that you moderated, Rob, in terms of we've got in, here in Minnesota 68 new legislators this session that have no experience with a lot of these issues. And there's so much opportunity for people, for citizens to, to, to take action and to really in, reach out and engage those legislators who want to engage with us. And that's where, you know, an organization like BHA, you know, it's just, it's, it's a great opportunity to connect with like-minded people who are concerned about public lands issues, hunting, fishing, et cetera, access. So I think it's a... If it's not us, somebody else is talking to them. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And so, you know, this idea, you've probably heard me say this before, but you're either at the table or you're on the menu. <laughs> and we literally have to be at the table. We might not get everything we want, but that idea that you're going to sit there and like kind of what's happening at the legislative level or what's happening with the governor, what's happening with the DNR director, it's just going to benefit us because we just that's the right thing to do. No way. We, the people, have to tell them what we want. And I think that is really uh, you know, what we try to do at BHA, but also the opportunity that all of us listening to this have, and we should all take advantage of that. Yeah, very well put. You guys stick around for another segment? We can do it. All right. We've got Lan Tawney and Katie McCaleb from BHA. I'm Rob Driesline. He's Mark Norcus. We're going to take a quick break. This is a special installment of Outdoor News Radio and the Modern Carnivore Podcast. More of the broadcast after these messages. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to a special installment of Outdoor News Radio. I'm Rob Driesline with my friend Mark Norquist from the Modern Carnivore Podcast. We did this at Game Fair last year. We had a great time. We thought we'd uh, give it another shot, coinciding with Pheasant Fest 2023, quite a party in downtown Minneapolis. We're having a great time. We are chatting with Lan Tawney. He's the CEO and president of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers based out of Missoula, Montana. 
It's good to have him here along with Katie McCaleb. She is the VP of communications for that organization. And by the way, we should point out, you guys got your big uh, rendezvous coming up in less than a month, right, Katie? Just about a month. Yeah. Come on out to Missoula, Montana. We're going to be meeting there over St. Patty's Day. We have some really fun events planned, including a big blowout on, on that Friday night. Some great seminars, some amazing speakers, and that classic BHA great energy that characterizes our gathering. So... March 17th, 18th, and 19th? Those, those 16th days? through the 18th. 16th through the 18th yep. out in Missoula. Go to uh, backcountryhunters.org to get all the details. Mark, we thought we'd spend another segment, and maybe we, we talked specifics in the last segment. Maybe get more big picture, 30,000 feet. We've got a bunch of Gen Xers here. Where do we want to be 20, 30 <laughs> years from now, right, uh, with uh, with conservation? I'll let you take lead. I think it's a, I think it's a good way to put it. Um, I'm just curious as to what perspective the two of you may have on where is conservation at today and looking at the national landscape. As I look at it here in Minnesota, I've got real concerns about a conservation community that's done so many great things. This panel that Rob just moderated is about the Legacy Amendment. We have this amazing amendment here in Minnesota that puts so much money into conservation. A lot of the people that put that forward a number of years ago, are getting pretty long in the tooth now. And I'm concerned that there's a bit of a void that needs to be filled. And it's going to be filled one way or the other, to your point on the last segment, Landy. I mean, either you're going to be at the table or, or on, on the table. Somebody else is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So what do you see when you, when you think about D.C., when you look at Montana, when you look at all the other states which you two are looking at all the time? What do you see as, as the current state of conservation and what we need to do maybe to, to plan for the next 50 years. It's always in the balance and it always has been. And so, you know, when Theodore Roosevelt helped kick off this amazing legacy, the modern day conservation that we think about in this country, that's only like 150 years ago that he was doing that. And so it's we've had different threats, but the consistency throughout is that people have had to step up. And so I think, you know, to answer your question directly, is that we have, you know, some challenges in front of us right now. But it's no different than, you know, the market killing that was going on, you know, in the early 1900s. It's no different than the dirty 30s when the lid was coming off the prairie, you know, the Dust Bowl. It's just our time to do our part. And so to me, one of the things that's facing us is like probably this apathy and that folks think that what we got is just there because they don't understand that it was lots of conversations, lots of people stepping up and leaning in. And right now we need to do exactly the same thing. It never is going to stop. That's daunting in some ways, that it's never over, but it's also this great opportunity at the same time. And so to me, when I think about conservation in general, it's like I'm worried that we have it too good right now and that we're forgetting that this did not happen by accident and it's only going to be carried forward by the people. And so I'm, I'm definitely worried about that piece. So what about if, if there's somebody listening to this podcast and they're saying, you know what, I, I'm sort of getting that feeling. I feel like I've been sitting back. What, what should they do? I think first, go join an organization, whether that's Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, whether that's Pheasants Forever, where we're at today, Ducks Unlimited, your local land trust. Do something to try to figure out how to perpetuate what you care about. And I think that's like the first thing. Very low bar, but go join an organization, join multiple organizations. The next piece is, is like pick up the phone call and make a, and let 
our elected officials or administrative officials know what you think. And that was a very kind of maybe scary thing to do, but it's such a necessity. And so just pick up the phone and talk to folks and let them know what you want. I think that's, to me, one of the most important things. I was just talking to somebody, again, right before we recorded, and they said they had a guide, like a 10-page guide, how to, how to contact your legislator that he was going to send me because we were just talking about in terms of how do we get people comfortable with the idea. And so I, I think I'm going to figure out a, a way how, how, to, how to package that up and get, get it out to, to people. It's got to be less than 10 pages. Exactly. <laughs> That's why I say we package that, it yeah. up. <laughs> well, let me ask you guys this. Um, you know, as you think about we're here at Pheasant Fest, which is such an exciting event. I mean, this energy is just so palpable. I mean, thousands, tens of thousands of people coming through here today. You couldn't walk earlier. It was, it was fun. A lot of the work of this organization is on is on the prairie, you know, habitat restoration, habitat acquisition, habitat improvement, grassland work, yeah. all that grassland work. You know, what are what are some of the? I mean, when you think of the grasslands where we're at now, we've lost in Minnesota, we've lost ninety nine percent, right? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I mean, that's that's amazing. A lot of good work being done. What does that mean for wildlife in terms of how important is prairie in, in, in your mind? And, and, and what does it mean for wildlife that's there today that used to be there? You know, what have you? What could be there tomorrow? You talk about grasslands. There's a number one imperiled ecosystem in the world. Absolutely. You just talked about losing 99% of that here in Minnesota. It is so vital to so many different species and so vital to the things that we go chase around. And so to me, we have this opportunity right now with things like the North American Grassland Act that will pay private landowners to either restore grasslands to where they used to be or to preserve ones that are already there. That 1% that you haven't lost yet. Like, let's keep that. Let's not lose that. And so that's a piece of legislation that I think uh, that looks to the future on how we can manage these landscapes and besides the critters that we like to chase around besides the ecological services that are provided you know less runoff because you have natural grasslands you have carbon sequestration the roots of these of these grasses are like immense it's unbelievable. I don't know if you ever tried to pick up some grass, but it's like they got a bunch of roots underneath it. That is helping. They're one of the best carbon sequesters that out there. So for climate change, they're vitally important. So to me, that's an opportunity that's right in front of us, and we should take advantage of that. And so, again, anybody that's listening to this, we will give you opportunities to engage on that piece. And how lucky are we that we have that opportunity to still do something uh, for a landscape that is so important to all of us? Off air, Mark was telling me that you've got some interest, or BHA has some interest in bison, and that's that's very closely linked to grasslands. Sure. Uh, can you expound on that? Tell us a little bit about how that plays into BHA's future. Sure. Throughout this conversation, I've been talking about the importance of hunters and the what great things that we have done collectively as an organization, you know, as a group of people. There's more white-tailed deer than we know what to do with. There's more geese than we know what to do with. Like waterfowl populations are doing good. Elk populations are back at an all-time high right now. This conservation pyramid that we have built is absolutely amazing. It's because of the hard work of people. It's because of the money we've put in and the time that we've spent. But there's one species that's a megafauna that we've not brought back to where they used to be, and that's bison. And, again, how lucky are we that we can even have the conversation about bringing them back? And what this species would do if we brought them back is that it would, you not only would help conserve these grasslands that we were just talking about, 
but also this is a connection to the Native Americans who, quite frankly, we stole these animals from. Sovereignty for these nations is based on these bison in a big way. That means food. That means their culture. And we took that away from them. And so I think the ability to bring these species back on a grand scale is exciting just if you want to hunt them. But also I think it's exciting to me to work with tribal members in particular to bring back something that was so important to them. Yeah. I got to tell you, when, when uh, out in Missoula, when uh, a bison was, was butchered a couple of years ago, yeah. and we had what? Powerful. A lot of people standing around watching that, being part of that. It was very powerful. And, and I love the aspect of it. I mean, it was, it was this ritual this, of this revered animal and the process that they go through. And, and uh, I think everybody should see that and be part of that. I think it's, uh, it was pretty cool. It's a pretty daunting task. I, I, I know we could, do, we could talk, spend a lot, we could of, spend time a lot of time flushing this one out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's, 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 that's an impressive uh, thing to go after. I mean, just in terms of, of that, that, uh, that goal. I think that, uh, you know, if you're in this in this business of conservation, you have to be optimistic. You also have to be ambitious. And I think there's a definite belief in that kind of um, idea that all parts matter in a system. And when you look at the system that we've been so successful, at, as Land was saying, in restoring populations of so many other critical uh, species of wildlife, whitetails and, and geese and waterfowl. What's the missing link here? So, you know, what are we, what, what do we have to strive toward? What can we come together as a community and work toward? What's the missing piece here? Bison's a really, uh, really logical part of that. What I would also say is that bison are unlike almost any other species. They need big, big open spaces to roam, right? right? And so, the public lands that they're going to be restored to that we will help do, keeping those intact is going to be vital to them coming coming back. And so at the same time that you're bringing these species back, you're making sure that these public lands are there forever to provide all the things that those things do. So I, to me... Benefiting you know, a lot of species. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, yeah, you know, just... and I, I think that, you know, whether that's mule deer or that's pronghorn or sage grouse, which is another sure. really important species yeah, that's yeah. in trouble... These landscapes, they need to be kept intact, and this is one of the ways that we can do that as well. We need to wrap up. Uh, can I get in one more question, Mark? And I want to I pitch it to Katie. BHA, I think part of the reason the group has been so successful is because of its focus on a very simple concept, public lands. My sense is BHA is becoming bigger than that. Do you feel that way as you look forward in BHA's future? Is it obviously that the essence is going to be public lands, but is it, is it bigger than that too? I think you're absolutely right, right? But public lands was, was um, you know, where the, where the spark of the fire started, and it's what, I think, united our community initially. But what do public lands represent? They represent something that's really at the heart of who we are as Americans, and that, you know, includes the opportunities to get out onto the lands and waters that we all own together. But it also... Um, Includes the uh, the adventures uh, and the uh, the spark that's at the heart of that that very American urge to to go out and, and venture forth onto um, our landscapes, and I think that it includes that that spirit of ambition and that optimism that motivates us to undertake daunting challenges like restoring bison across the landscape. And it's that kind of energy that I think is going to keep us growing and and is going to power power us forward. Any final thoughts from? from Mark or, uh, or land? I mean, the only thing I'm going to say is do something. 
None of this that we have right now. These amazing opportunities. We're here at Pheasant Fest to chase around pheasants on landscapes that are incredible. None of that happened by accident. It's because people leaned in. And so do something. Pick up the phone. Belong to an organization. Donate some money. Bring your friends to, to the fore. Like just do something. And if we all do something, this will go forward in a way that it has perpetuated already for the last 150 years. We good, Mark? Let's go. Let's, let's, uh, let's give Land the last word on that. I think uh, he summed it up pretty well. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Land and Katie, for spending a long weekend with all of us Minnesotans here at Pheasant Fest. It's been great spending time with you guys and working together on conservation issues. Always so, a pleasure, and, you guys. And, Mark, thank you for your great production skills. Appreciate uh, working with you again here on uh, a joint production Absolutely. of Outdoor News Radio and the Modern Carnivore Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Modern Carnivore Podcast. You can continue the journey by going to modcarn.com. 